Welcome to 2022, everyone. Hope all of you had a great New Year's celebration and are looking forward to an exciting year to come. As we've done in years past, for this week's episode, we're presenting one of our favorite Patreon bonus shows from the previous year. Primarily to give you a taste of what you can expect as far as bonus shows when you're a Necronomapod patron. But also, because Mike refuses to let us have a week off at the end of the year, and this always ends up being the compromise. Without further ado, please enjoy the following episode. I'm Paul Bernardo and Carla Homolka. Bonus episode for all of the patrons. Whiskey, beer, tequila, more beer, more vodka, more whiskey, and more beer. Yeah, that about sums it up. I'm feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good. How about you guys? Yeah, I'm doing all right. You look a little loaded. If I'm being honest, <laughs> do I look loaded or do I look fancy with these new microphones we have tonight? They are pretty cool mics. We are literally using the top of the top of the line microphones like a bunch of fancy boys over here. Do we sound pretty good? Mm. Hello, testing one, two, three. <laughs> How do I sound? One of these deep tones of Mike Namapod sound. <laughs> Hello, yes. Ian, chime in whenever you'd like. <laughs> Sounds like the Ted Bundy episode. Yeah. I don't remember. You don't remember that one? Of course not. <laughs> I remember him. <laughs> you wrote the book on him, right? Yeah. Well, but oh, okay. I get it now. That's okay. what you mean. All right. Good. I thought you were talking about like just my base tone. I, I know like, I'm no, talking dude, about why not have this every the way week? we're discussing things. You're yeah. like, this is how I sound every week. <laughs> remember that Howard Stern? <laughs> From the movie. She's actually Private sitting parts. on the big bass speaker. She's, he's like, here's, he's like here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to lay that, that, <laughs> that speaker down. And I want you to sit and straddle right on the bass. And then he just he gets her off with his vibrations. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Private Parts? Uh, yeah, yeah. How, that movie is so fucking good. Howard Stern was fantastic. I know he was playing himself. Still fantastic in it. Is that Mary McCormick, too? Yeah. I like her. Yeah. I like her. I got a crush on her. None of that's accurate anymore after the divorce, but. That's true. But it, in all fairness, the movie ended in like, what, 92, 93? My gift to you, ACDC. I loved that as a kid, obviously. I marked out to that. I've met Gary. We went, we, uh, we went on a trip to Vegas, uh, like years and years ago, back in the old days at the Hard Rock when Howard used to go out there and broadcast every year. So we were backstage. And you want a trip out there. My wife and I have a picture with Gary the Slow Adult in him. We talked Gary Delabate, <laughs> we met. Good for Good you. Time, man. It was a big trip. Hey, it did well. I was very nervous how he was going to end that one. Wasn't there? Wasn't and there and s- Gary Delabate, Baba Booey, right? Baba Booey, yeah. Wasn't there part of that where you met Air Force Amy? Air Force Amy was backstage with her big fucking hat standing in front of me. 
The bitch was like six <laughs> five. I'm like, get out of my way, Air Force Amy. I'm trying to watch the, the show. You mean in other words, you were like, move, bitch, get out the way, get out the way, bitch, get out the way. Oh no, the lights out. I'm about to punch your lights out. Get the fuck back. God, your grill. Sorry, I left some Luda. You never know where this is going to go. I love it. It's true. We've, we've been all over. We have been more over the map than Amelia Earhart. You told that story on a bonus episode. Did I? And we had to cut the whole thing out because it got a little offensive. God damn it. Air Force Amy. <laughs> Well, he retold it. Yeah. Splendidly, might I add. That is NPR appropriate, I think. Well, Air Force Amy is a sex worker at the... Wait, bunny- she's not in the military? <laughs> she was. She's a she's a veteran. So I thank you for your service, Air Force Amy. She's a sex worker at the, the, the uh, Bunny Ranch in Nevada. Thank you for that service as and well. She's got a big hat and she stood in front of me and blocked my view backstage at our <laughs> And this dipshit who won free tickets was being a Karen about it and got all pissy. Come on, move. You I couldn't. can't see Howard. <laughs> all right. So, yeah. Anyways, Private Parts, good movie. Yeah. She should have blown me to make up for it. Wow. Yeah. She's a sex worker after all. She's going to blow me for free. You can't afford it. Just her. saying. In all fairness, you can't afford it, Pally. No. I know you're a podcast star now, but still. Well, you know, I think that show there was also a mom and daughter sex worker team that, that Howard gave away like a date with the mom and daughter to somebody. <laughs> it was wild. Yeah. Well, what was it? The last show we were doing fucking toilet potty diarrhea humor on. We're one step away from doing giveaway dates with sex workers. Right. So, you know, who the fuck knows where this show is going? We are legit in the toilet at this point. We're just circling the bowl. <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah, that's all I got. I'm too. I, it's best if I don't keep talking because I am uh, alcoholed. So, speaking of toilet bowls, Ian, what do we got today? Tonight we're going to talk about Paul Bernardo and Carla Hamolka. That was a great segue, Mike. I, I really enjoyed that. that was fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I, that was great. I honestly don't know the story, and I didn't read the notes, so <laughs> I am legit going into this blind. <laughs> Uh, I did not have time to read the notes today. I was quite busy. And so this is, I think, the second time ever I am going into an episode with no clue what we're discussing. Second time ever? Yes. Only? I believe so. Well, there was the one where we didn't even get notes. I believe in that one. <laughs> was it the... Uh, <laughs> I always read the notes. Wasn't it the... Uh, was it the sanatorium episode where we didn't even send us the notes? Waverly Hills. Waverly Hill. Wasn't it that it one? Was I don't know. All we did was get blackout drunk and babble <laughs> nonsense. So, yeah, that's probably the we one. We didn't even get notes. And then there, I think there was one other episode where I just didn't have time and I didn't read the notes. Mm. Another bonus show. Anyways, I'm going in blind. I literally have no idea what this episode's about. Although you guys made me uh, off air. Told me it's a real feel good one. So I'm excited for that. Mm. Must have been the Chris Benoit episode where you had no idea what was going on. According to some listeners, I had no idea. Just kind of went. I, I, what are this? I, I won it. Made it up as I went. Well, I did that for all my episodes, though. Please, did you listen to Garfield? I just made all that up. None of it was true. I did not spend 13 and a half hours researching or anything. Paul Kenneth Bernardo was born on August 27, 1964, to Marilyn Bernardo and Kenneth Bernardo in Scarborough, Ontario, which is a suburb of Toronto, Canada. 
1975, Paul's father was charged with child molestation for groping a young girl, and he sexually abused Paul's sister. Instead of leaving the situation or contacting authorities, Paul's mother just kind of shut down and pulled away from the family. She moved down into the basement and just kind of hid from all of it. The first shocking part of this story is that it's in Canada. I did not know there was crime in Canada. Everyone seems so nice up there. Didn't we cover the... the uh, Luca Magnato? No, the, the other one with the trailers. The guy oh, that the, dude. Uh, the pig the guy, nickel, Nickelback. Pig guy? Nickelback. Robert Picton. Yeah. How do I fucking know his name <laughs> before you two? Maybe Drunk Mike is actually... It. Like, really Drunk Mike is a genius with true crime. We're going to find out we shortly. We just haven't <laughs> tapped into that. We haven't never tapped into that. <laughs> yeah, Robert Picton was Canada, though, right? He was like... Yeah. Was he BC or was he Alberta? Vancouver. So he's BC. Uh, before Christ. Obviously. <laughs> well, he needed some Christ in his life. <laughs> we all need Christ in our life, Mike. Let go and let God. As far as Paul was considered, this is how a family friend described him as a child. Quote, he was always happy, a young boy who smiled a lot and was so cute with his dimpled good looks and sweet smile that many of the mothers just wanted to pinch him on the cheek whenever they saw him. He was the perfect child they wanted, polite, well-mannered, doing well in school, so sweet in his Boy Scout uniform. Did Mike's mom write that paragraph? Or? <laughs> it's, a bit of a, it's a bit much. I was an adorable child. I don't know what you guys are fucking talking about. When Paul became a teenager, he began having sexual fantasies that were not consensual ones, pretty much rape. He was very abusive, both mentally and physically. He got off on humiliating girlfriends and random women in public and beating his girlfriends. Around the time that he was getting into this stuff, at 16, his mother told him that she had had an affair and his father, Kenneth, was not his real father. This resulted in Paul ramping up his abuse of women, and now he was physically assaulting his mother in front of the family. Reminds me of someone else we know, Virgin Mary. Yeah. Had an affair. Really wasn't his father. Makes sense to me. (laughs) This is straight out of the Bible. (laughs) Paul attended Sir Wilfrid Laurier Collegiate Institute in Scarborough and then went to the University of Toronto Scarborough in 1982 and worked for Amway. Working at Amway got Paul really into sales and getting good at convincing people of things. He bought tons of books and tapes on sales techniques to study and used what he learned in these to pick up women. So what's worse, rapists or multi-level marketing people? It's a a toss-up, right? (laughs) I'm going to say rapists because I want that on official record. (laughs) But it was like 49.51, right? It was close. I'm going to say rapist final answer. (laughs) And you don't even know what went out of my head thinking about it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Paul let his sexual sadism branch off to raping random women. Typically, he would use the public bus system to stalk women and follow them home in the evenings. The first known attack Paul committed was on May 4th, 1987. But with the way that he escalates, I think it's probably safe to say that he started uh, before this attack. So we're just going to run through these. This is almost like... It's crazy, this list you're about to read. It's just... I'm sorry, I thought this episode was about Carl or Hamolka. Why are we talking about this man named Paul? It's a twist. 
I kind of like not reading the notes. Just roll with it, buddy. <laughs> it's like I'm watching an episode of SVU. <laughs> I can't wait for Ice T to come in and bitch slap you. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Tastes like I'm not even gonna lie. That'd be fucking awesome. I hope he does. <laughs> Can he bring his wife Coco? Meg Gusta. Oh yeah. Hey, <laughs> Gusta. <laughs> I love Twitter Ice T too. He's so goddamn funny. Is he? Yeah. He probably is. He's, He's got great. those one liners oh, yeah. too. Yeah. On May 4th, 1987, Paul raped a 21 year old Scarborough woman in front of her parents' house after he followed her home. May 14th, Paul raped a 19 year old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. July 17th, 1987, Paul attempted to rape a young woman. He beat her really bad, but ran away when she refused to stop fighting and screaming. September 29th, 1987, Paul attempted to rape a 15-year-old girl. He broke into the house and entered the girl's bedroom. He jumped on her back, put his hand over her mouth, and threatened her with a knife. He hit her multiple times in the side of the face and bit her ear. Paul fled when the girl's mother entered the room and screamed. At the time, there was a guy named Anthony Hainmayer, who was 19 at the time of the assault. He was convicted of the sexual assault in 1989 and ended up serving a 16-month prison sentence. Was it based on the eyewitness account of the mom? Believe so. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. It's one of the most famous. Uh, wow. You know, uh, mistaken identity. Yeah, uh, like a fault. You know, wrongly imprisoned. Yeah. In Can- it's one of the most famous ones in Canada. Well, we're just talking about that, right? We're talking about that. Like faulty every, memory. You mean every episode when we, they're wrongly in prison? <laughs> West Memphis 3 off the top of my head? <laughs> the Mandela effect. Mandela effect, yeah. With what? Oh, false memory. Just false memory, like remembering things that really didn't happen. I think that's part of it. Yeah. In times of trauma, it's probably a little different. You know, I give them more slack than, you know, well, dumb asses that think Pikachu had black on the end of his tail. <laughs> well, I, I think the scenario is... Someone breaks in, starts raping your daughter. You f- you run in the room, you see it, you get a quick glimpse of him, and the police pick someone up and show him to you, and he kind of resembles that person, and you're just enraged, and you're like, "Yeah, that's the guy. Of course, that's the guy." But yeah. it wasn't the guy. But I, but I don't think you're actively just picking someone out of the blue. No, no, your no. brain is telling your you, brain yeah, is that, leading you man. towards that because right. you want to find the man so bad. Exactly right. Yeah, I agree. I th- That's why I think eyewitness that be- testimony is just not accurate in a lot of cases at all. Yeah. I, I, who remembers shit like that? Like, you know, like even if you were an eyewitness for a crime that wasn't being committed against you, what, what are you really going to notice and remember right. if you see something across the street and then you go about with your life and they're like, well, we need to know what you saw and this and this and this. You're going to do your best, you know, but. And then they're gonna they're gonna take whatever you say as the final word. You That's know? right. If you say brown hair and a green jacket, they're gonna be looking for everyone with fucking brown hair and a green jacket. Meanwhile, it, he might have had you know blondish look, you know, dark blonde hair and a blue jacket. And now he's you know, it's tough. I think it's one of the arguments against capital punishment because eyewitness testimony is just not accurate. You know that and the whole murder thing, but okay. Well, that's just me. I, you know, that's just I don't me know about talking. that. I mean, it's still murder, is it not? Well, you know, it's a homicide. I don't know if it's murder. After this attack in October of 1987, Paul met Carla Homolka, and these two headed off immediately. Unlike other women Paul knew and had been with, Carla encouraged his sadistic sexual behavior. Uh, 
more of that which we will get into in a bit. Carlo Homolka was born on May 4th, 1970 in Port Credit, Ontario, Canada to Carl Homolka and Dorothy Seeger. Her father was a Czechoslovakian immigrant and worked as a traveling salesman. A lot of times he got drunk and abused his wife while Carla and her two younger siblings watched. Interestingly, like John Wayne Gacy, Carla was very asthmatic and had to be hospitalized frequently as a child. She spent more time in the hospital than mm. not. Now look here, Pilgrim, in my Canada, you're not going to beat a woman like that. And John Wayne Gacy's... Uh, and John Wayne Gacy's... Uh, never mind. I was going to say, are we just going to act like that didn't happen? No. There's no acknowledgement needed. I just have trigger words like John Wayne. Yep. I read my name and I just go into the accent, Pilgrim. That was almost Australian. <laughs> you almost went Australian on that one. Leave us all in. That's fine. We ain't we ain't cutting any of this shit. We'll do it live. Fuck it. I don't know what that means to read us out. I'm getting a beer. I'll be back. Growing up, she enjoyed drawing and expressed her love for animals. And she got a part-time job at a pet shop when she was in her teens. Even though she claimed to love animals, she once threw a friend's pet hamster out the window, resulting in its death. So, who knows what the animal thing. Well, it's just a hamster. <laughs> it's, a God, it's one of God's creations, Dave. That's a rodent. Let's stop be honest. Stop. Well, the way, stop. You tra- the way you treat human lives with the capital punishment, I'm, I'm not surprised you would just throw a hamster away like that. That's fine. If you're going to kill a human, why not kill a hamster? It doesn't matter. Certain people that don't deserve to be alive, Mike. <laughs> you know it, and I know it. Ian. <laughs> people also said that she was a bright student and was liked by most of her teachers. In high school, she dated a guy named Doug and started to experiment with drugs and having sex with him. She had a lot of sexual fantasies based around death and a couple times cut herself during sex. Just like that listener and the listener sex stories, right? She was getting tag teamed <laughs> on the bathroom floor and brought out a knife and cut herself or had them cut her. So the story goes. It was fucking wild. Yeah. People are into what people are into. Yeah. It's not my thing, but there's a, I mean, I don't know. There's a fetish for everything out there, right? You see all that blood, lose your boner and pass out. <laughs> all that blood goes to my head. I'm like, how cold? Hey, can I get some of that blood in my penis? I'm going to need it here in about 30 seconds when I go unconscious. <laughs> Ain't no blue chew going to help that. How many smelling salts to bring me out of this? <laughs> Just to wake up. Plus, if you fall and hit your head, that's it. Right? I mean, you could die. Mm-hmm. Really, it's unsafe. It's unsafe. Unsanitary. Um, unsafe. Yeah. And unsatisfactory. <laughs> like we said just a little bit ago, when Carla met Paul in the in October of 1987, the two of them hit it off because Carla was into everything Paul was sexually, and she encouraged him to continue as a serial rapist. Reminds me of uh, Lenny Lake's friend Cricket. Mm-hmm. He was into all that shit. We'll hear about that next week. Okay. We will. Uh- Okay. Cindy Hindi with the toy box killer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who is now free. Right. She is walking free. We had a few people message us about that. Cindy, call us. Can we get her on the show? Get her on the show and let Mike read the intro letter (laughs) again and and see if it gets her wet. (laughs) (laughs) Spoiler alert. 
It will. <laughs> what was he? He's like, look here, bitch. Something. I got you tied up was- in this little trailer room. <laughs> Looking back, like the fact that we took such a serious and a horrible thing and I had Country Mike read it. That's, I would, not, that's not look, great. I would not do that again. Nah. No. No. Like I, I probably should have read that one straight. That was before we knew what we were doing. That was though. before we realized people were like fucking <laughs> listening. Like, not like just, hello, hello, people yeah. are listening to this show. <laughs> right. There was a lot of things that we did back then that I was like looking back now. I'm like, I would not do that again. Like release the children of God long lost episode. No, we were smart then and we're smarter now. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and people stop asking. It's been deleted forever. You're never going to hear it. I have one copy. Dude, it's like that Wu Tang. It's album. called KFA, motherfucker. <laughs> just work with me here. I have one. I have one copy of it. Did you see the government auction that Wu Tang? Uh, uh, did they? The, the one out. The what was, was the it? Like a gold vinyl. Yeah, the farm. The Martin Shkreli head. Yeah, they auctioned it last week. How much did it go for? They didn't. I don't think they said. Uh, they didn't say who got it either. Did they just take it off that dude? Yeah, they confiscated. <laughs> nice. they seized it. That dickhead. <laughs> Good. Like that guy having the Wu-Tang album? Get the yeah. fuck out of here. So with Carla's encouragement, on December 16th, 1987, Paul raped a 15-year-old girl. The next day, the Metropolitan Toronto Police issued a warning to women in Scarborough traveling alone at night, and especially those riding buses. December 23rd, 1987, Paul raped a 17-year-old girl at Knife Point, And by this time, the media began to refer to him as the Scarborough Rapist. Was she there during all these or just encouraged him? It's unclear, right? Yeah, it's unclear. Yeah. On April 18th, 1988, Paul raped a 17-year-old girl. Then on May 25th, 1988, Paul was almost caught by a Metro Toronto investigator staking out a bus stop. The investigator saw Paul hiding in some trees by the bus stop and chased after him. But Paul got away. It's another what if. What if they would have got this motherfucker? Then we'll see you next week. Yeah, then the show's over. <laughs> right. Bye. On May 30th, 1988, Paul raped an 18-year-old woman in Mississauga, Ontario, about 25 miles southwest of Scarborough. On October 4th, 1988, Paul attempted rape in Scarborough, but the woman fought back, resulting in Paul fleeing the scene. But before he did, he stabbed her twice, once in the thigh and once in the buttocks. On November 16, 1988, Paul raped an 18-year-old woman in the backyard of her parents' house. Then on the following day, on November 17th, Metro Police formed a task force to capture the Scarborough rapist. The task force seemed to scare Paul a bit because he didn't strike again until December 27, 1988, when he attempted to rape a woman, but thankfully a neighbor chased him off. Starting to think this Paul guy is not a good fella. Yeah. Mm. This list is crazy. It's very much like uh, Golden State Killer to a degree. Yeah, very there's much. There's just so That's many. Right. Like, it's just too much. Wasn't <laughs> Golden State much. Killer where like, we, couldn't, we didn't even list them all? We're just like, in between this period and this period, it's believed he raped yeah. this many and this many. Yeah. You just couldn't. You, you could sit there forever going through right. each individual story for what he was responsible for. On June 20th, 1989, Paul attempted to rape a woman, but fled when her fighting back and screaming alerted neighbors. On August 15th, 1989, Paul raped a 22-year-old woman. On November 21st, 1989, Paul raped a 15-year-old girl while she was waiting at a bus stop. And on December 22nd, 1989, Paul raped a 19-year-old woman. 
Are you quite done now or? Almost. I got are one. you going to continue? <laughs> I got one more. <laughs> On May 26, 1990, Paul raped a 19-year-old woman. She got a really good look at Paul's face and investigators were able to create a computer composite portrait, which was released two days later and published in the Toronto and surrounding newspapers. Did it look like him? Yeah. Oh, good. Should be wrapping this up in about uh, two paragraphs, probably. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't go on for eight more pages. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we'll take a pee break. <laughs> Whiskey. Beer. Tequila. Feeling good, Mike? Did you get your beer filled up there? Feeling pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Good job. Ready to go. From May to September 1990, police submitted more than 130 suspect samples for DNA testing. Police received two tips that the person they were looking for was Paul. The first was in June of 1990 and had been filed by a local bank employee after seeing the composite. The second was from Tina Smyrnas wife of one of the three Smyrnas brothers who were among Paul's closest friends. Tina told detectives that Paul, quote, had been called in on a previous rape investigation once in December 1987, but had never been interviewed. He frequently talked about his sex life to Tina and obviously to her brothers and told them all about the sadistic stuff he was into. Police interviewed Paul on November 20th, 1990 for 35 minutes. He voluntarily provided samples for forensic testing. When detectives asked Paul why he thought he was being investigated for the rapes, he admitted that he resembled the composite. But detectives found Paul more credible than Tina and didn't look into him any further. I thought all police misconduct was uh, just in the U.S. Apparently, (laughs) they have cops in Canada, too, that don't do their job. Okay, good to know. By 1990, Paul was spending a lot of time with Carla's family, who liked him and thought nothing weird was going on. They thought Paul was a successful accountant, when in reality he made his money smuggling cigarettes across the Canadian and the Canadian and U.S. border. So just to hit on that last point, so they have his DNA. They're just choosing not to test it, right? Because they believe him. Right. Yeah. That's what I was talking about. The yeah. Cops. Yeah, they have it. They have them. Like, they got the guy cold right there. Right. Yeah. Okay. I want to make that clear before most of the other stuff begins. Are we clear? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Paul and Carla got engaged, but Paul flirted with Carla's youngest sister, Tammy, and had become obsessed with her. He was looking into her window and going into her room to masturbate while she slept. Carla helped Paul by breaking the locks on the windows in her sister's room, allowing him access. How old is she? 15. Mm. Oh, boy. What's, what's going on up in Canada, huh? <laughs> okay. I always thought it was the great white north. Yeah, it's the great right. bad north. I was ready to move there. <laughs> great bad north. <laughs> <laughs> the bad white north. <laughs> you were going to emigrate, see if they would take you. Refugee from America. There have been times, Palomino. (laughs) I have considered it. It's not easy. They don't want any schlubs up there. Like, you could have a demonstrable skill. Well, I can play play hockey. Can you, though? I can. How long ago was that? It was a long time. But I can, first of all, I can ice skate. (laughs) Second of all, I can play. I can drink beer. You would fit in. 
And I know the I, I mean, I'm a diehard Edmonton Oilers fan, so obviously I'm there, right? Come on, they might take you. I think you got a good chance. I'll take a, I'll take a test or a quiz or whatever you know that they need me to take. I'll, I'll learn about all the provinces. <laughs> Are you going to visit? Have you ever been to Edmonton? I have not. Are I you want, ever planning to go up there? I would love to one day. Sometimes Canada's supposed to open back up in a couple of weeks until the. I'm so not, everything shuts uh, down again. Yeah, I'm not sure they'll have me on the first. You know, they're like, yeah, those Americans. Uh, no, thanks. I mean, at least they were planning to open back up. Things I would are changing, though. I would love to go to an Edmonton Oilers game in Edmonton. That would be a dream come true. Someday. How far up is that? How far north? It's very far up north is it? in Alberta. Right. Yeah. I think I looked it up once. I mean, it's a few thousand miles away. Like, that's, you know, I'm sure there's no direct flights. I'll have to stop off somewhere. You know, like shithole Calgary. No one wants to go to Calgary. You probably get a direct flight from Toronto. Okay, but I could go to Toronto and then get a direct flight from oh, there. Maybe. Toronto's only Perhaps. five hours from here. Yeah. Well, flight wise, though, I'd have to fly to. Tr- I mean, I could drive to Toronto. Or I could fly to Toronto. Right. And then I'm sure Toronto's got to be the hub, right? In Canada, it goes everywhere. Yeah. Uh, Surprise. Or Ottawa. Ottawa's their capital. Yeah. Like, it's got to be Toronto, though. That's got to be. Yeah. That's got to be the big. You can get a lot of cheap flights to Europe out of Toronto, like if they're too expensive around here in our in our neighborhood. If you don't mind that that drive to Toronto, like surprisingly yeah. cheap flights to all over it's Europe. A little more than five hours, though, isn't it's it? It's like five. seven. Well, if you drive like a pussy, like you, yeah. I get there in five hours. Yeah, I don't. I would challenge that. One. <laughs> <laughs> I challenge that call, Dave. I think you need to do that. Video record the whole thing on live on good live on YouTube. I can get to Toronto in five hours. All right. I don't believe that. (laughs) Okay. Might take a pee bottle with me, but I mean, with you in the car, I won't get there because we'll be at that rest stop every 20 minutes. Oh, it'd take two days. Two days. We have to get a hotel in Buffalo. (laughs) Get a hotel in Buffalo for the night and have some fun. Good time to be had in Buffalo, though. Uh, That's a good city. Underrated city, I think, Buffalo. Rochester, too, up there. Rochester's a great town. Rochester's a fun city as well. Get a garbage plate. That was my nickname in college, mostly because of what I ate. <laughs> in July 1990, Paul took Tammy across the border to get beer for a party. Paul later told Carla that, quote, they got drunk and began making out. Uh, according to Paul, Carla laced spaghetti sauce with crushed Valium she had stolen from her job at the Martindale Animal Clinic. She gave it to her sister, who soon lost consciousness. Then Paul sexually assaulted Tammy while Carla watched. There was no penetration as in traditional sex, and that'll make more sense in a couple paragraphs here. Tammy had no idea what happened, and over the summer, Paul gave Tammy and her friends tons of gifts, food, pretty much whatever they wanted. I you think Paul should be uh, on the planet, Mike? I think Paul should be put away for a long time. <laughs> I do not. All right, think just checking in. I do not think it's <laughs> I'll check back with you later. I do not. I do not think it's up to the government and okay. our justice system right. to, to murder people. Okay, we'll check back in a little bit. <laughs> My answer is not. <laughs> I've said the same thing about the worst of the worst we've covered. Should would the would society be better off without them? Of course. Is it up to us to put them to death? I don't think so. Okay. Now, if there's a vigilante out there that wants to take justice into his own hands, oh well, you know, mm. we'll try to stop you, but. You know, it is what it is. Okay. Should not be up to our government to kill people. I don't want to live in a society that just thinks it's okay to kill. Okay. Six months before their wedding, Carla stole an anesthetic called halothane from the clinic she worked at. On December 23rd, 1990, Carla and Paul put sleeping pills in eggnog and gave it to Tammy. 
When Tammy lost consciousness, Carla and Paul undressed her, and Carla put a halothane-soaked cloth to her sister's nose and mouth. Carla wanted to, quote, give Tammy's virginity to Paul for Christmas. According to her, Paul was disappointed that he was not Carla's first sex partner. With Tammy's parents sleeping upstairs, they videotaped themselves raping her in the basement. Tammy began to throw up, and they tried to revive her, but called 911 after hiding evidence, dressing Tammy, and moving her to her bedroom. A few hours later, Tammy was pronounced dead at St. Catherine's General Hospital. I it, I don't know. That's maybe one of the worst paragraphs I ever read in the course of this show. Um, that's I don't even I have no words. Despite vacuuming and washing laundry in the middle of the night, and despite a chemical burn on Tammy's face from that rag soaked in halothane, the regional municipality of Niagara coroner and the Hamolka family accepted Paul and Carla's version of events. The official cause of Tammy's death was accidental, choking on vomit after drinking too much. Not long after, Paul and Carla videotaped themselves with Carla wearing Tammy's clothing and pretending to be her in a sexual manner. All right, come on. Stop. Remember when you said the last paragraph was the yeah. worst thing we ever read, Dave? Come on. How old so, is like, Carla at this point? Like 19, 18, 19, like somewhere in there. I, I want to know why, like how, like a chemical burn on her face and they're just like, yeah, alcohol poisoning. She asphyxiated on her vomit. Like, I don't know. Well, I think it's you the second time the authorities uh, fucked up in this, this whole case. I understand. Yeah. I'm just looking at like, you know. One thing's about well, one thing about a lot of these stories, if there wasn't police incompetence, coroner incompetence, judicial, whatever, we wouldn't even be talking about any of this shit. Because almost all these stories is just kind of fuck up after fuck up. And there's always several points within the story where they could have taken a different turn. Right. Yeah. And I know yeah. hindsight. It, it's hindsight still. And no one's perfect. I, I get that. But when, when it's just gross incompetence, oh, yeah. it just like, makes you kind of people miss stuff. Of course, no right. one's perfect. And this is a like I always go back to the John Bonet one, and I know like I go to back to that series a lot, but that was my favorite one we've ever done. Like they moved the body and they covered it with a blanket. Like yeah. they blatantly did things that like you all of us know not to do, and we have no training right. in that field. I feel like I'd um, be just standing in the corner, like probably shouldn't do that. Yeah, hey, <laughs> hey, hey, dude, yeah. Maybe don't touch that. Hey, jealous people, you just invited into the house that are bringing donuts and coffee. Ah, we probably shouldn't do that. I watch iced tea on SVU, and I'm pretty sure he would not do that. <laughs> this is not an iced tea approved yeah. maneuver here. If you watch Law and Order SVU twice, <laughs> you could conduct a better investigation right. than they did in Colorado for Chambonet Ramsey. That's right. Yeah. And 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 I'm not, I'm not trying to be unfair to police, but for that specific investigation, it was the drizzling shits. It was the drizzling shits. You're not wrong. This one now might be the closest runner up we've had. Like there was literally a chemical burn on her face. They're so like, ah, alcohol poisoning. Yeah. She died. Shortly after Tammy Homolka's funeral, her parents left town and her sister Lori visited her grandparents, leaving the house empty. During the weekend of January 12th, 1991, Paul abducted a girl, took her to the house, raped her while Carla watched and dropped her off on a deserted road. Paul and Carla called her, quote, January girl in later videotapes. They were all about taping themselves, documenting all this stuff. Tons of videotapes. Mm -hmm. They probably watched them over and over again, too, all the time. Until 
Or but, watch the tape of them killing her or, or you know, raping oh, her body because they had it on film, right? Yeah. Like, they, mm-hmm. you know, can you imagine if they're doing all this? No. Of course they're watching that. And then when that tape gets old, that's when they go out and hunt again. Ugh. At about 5.30 a.m. on April 6, 1991, Paul abducted a 14-year-old who was warming up as a coxswain for a local rowing team. The girl was distracted by Carla, who waved at her from a car allowing Paul to drag her into the bushes near the rowing club. He sexually assaulted her and forced her to remove all of her clothes and wait for five minutes while he ran away. On June 7th, 1991, Carla invited a 15-year-old girl she had become friends with at a pet shop two years earlier. This girl is known as Jane Doe. From my understanding, her name is still not public, which is good. Good. Good for her. Um, Carla invited her for a, quote, girls' night out. After going out shopping and eating, Carla drugged the girl with alcohol laced with halcyon. When the girl lost consciousness, Carla called Paul to tell him that his surprise wedding gift was ready. Paul videotaped Carla raping the girl before he himself sexually assaulted her. The next morning, Jane Doe was sick, but thought that her vomiting was from drinking for the first time and didn't realize that she had been sexually assaulted. The surprise gift stuff is just makes it extra weird and weird and sad. Like that. She wanted to give her own sister's virginity to him. It's weird. Like it's not that hard to go out and find girls, right? Like that you have to do that. You can go to like a swingers club and get a girl and be like, here's my gift to you. Like, is it, I'm going to bang her in front of you. or You can bang her in front of me. Like, what do you got to go down this road? You don't have to drug them. This is what we, when we talked about with Gilberto Valle, this is in, you know, in the DSM five is a mental disorder. Once you cross the path of you're turned on by something that's not consensual, there is no safe word. And even if a girl you pick up role plays, it's just not the same, right? You need to hurt someone. Yeah. 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 I guess. In August, Jane Doe was invited back to quote, spend the night and again was drugged. Carla called 911 for help after the girl stopped breathing while being raped. Carla called back a few minutes later to say that, quote, everything is all right. And the ambulance was canceled without a follow-up. Jane Doe ended up surviving, and all these details came out in future court appearances. That's not how 911 works. Don't they have to come out and check it out? Even if you accidentally call, well, again, different Canadian nine one one. Even if you accidentally call nine one one, they have to come out. They're supposed to. Yeah, try it right now. Call nine one one. When I was younger, I accidentally did. Did they come to your house? They called right back, and they sent a squad car out just to check. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Typically, you can't call nine one one and say, "You know what? Never mind. I'm good." Now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I accidentally <laughs> work that way. and then hung up because I was like, "Oh shit! I just hit the wrong thing." They yeah. called right back, and then they're like. I think I, you're like, know. no, I'm not doing a weed. What do you do? stop? Why are you saying that? I was like, but wait, there's people banging on my doors. Uh, but anyway, yeah, they, they, they talked to my dad and he was like, yeah, everything's fine. It was an accident. And then yeah. they sent a squad car out just to be my sick. dopey kid doesn't know how to use the fucking phone. No, I can't remember what I was doing. I trying to call like, you know, nine, seven, six, one, Hulk nine, Hogan. nine, no, one, nine, nine, bang me out. You know, one of those sex lines or something. I know. I don't know. Hey there, Hulkamaniacs. Thanks for calling at two ninety nine a minute. Please. Mean Gene Okerlund. Would Stand the phone as long as you can. <laughs> mean Gene. Don't tell your parents. <laughs> would never have it as 911. 
<laughs> so yeah, that was a thing I experienced in my childhood. Oh, that's traumatic. Nah, it wasn't really. No, no, it was nothing. Right? <laughs> we were like, yeah, was, we fucked yeah. up, and they, they left right away. <laughs> wasn't that awful? Early in the morning on June fifteenth, nineteen ninety one, Paul drove through Burlington, which is outside of Toronto, to steal license plates. So it was something else he did on the side, like a side hustle, was steal license plates and like sell them on a black market type thing. Smart, pretty lucrative, I'm sure. While he was doing this, he found Leslie Mahaffey. She was 14 years old and had missed her curfew multiple times. Her parents had threatened to lock her out if she kept doing it. This was an ongoing thing. And this night they decided to lock the door. That is not a good parenting plan. I don't agree with that. No, but I feel so bad for these parents because yeah, you get pissed. Awful. You finally do it. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. going to see what happens. Don't lock your kids out of the house. No. My mom did it to me one time. Oh, you're a bad kid. You're a yeah. bad seat. I understand that. But from parents <laughs> with good kids, don't do that. <laughs> what did you do? Sleep outside? Oh, no. She let me back in after oh, a while. Well, that was nice. Oh, yeah. She didn't lock me out for good. Oh. But she kind of taught me my lesson a little bit. I knew she was going to let me back in eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so I just kind of hung out. <laughs> Remember when Mike pooped his pants on his front porch? <laughs> his, his mom should have locked him out of the house for that one. <laughs> it's like he's dropping deuces on the porch. When did we talk about that? Holy shit! I forgot all about Running that. Running down his leg. You yeah. told that story yourself. I, I know. I forgot all about that. God damn. Pooping your pants is a hell of a drug. <laughs> I can honestly say, in my adult life, I have not pooped my pants. No, not my doll life. No. I'm lie detector determined that was a lie. <laughs> I'm being 100% honest. <laughs> so Paul saw her and got out of his car approaching Leslie, saying that he wanted to break into a neighbor's house. This is according to him. Leslie was kind of like, whatever, and asked Paul if he had any cigarettes. Paul led her to his car where he blindfolded her forced her into the car and drove to his home and told Carla that they had a new victim. Paul and Carla videotaped themselves torturing and sexually abusing Leslie while they listened to Bob Marley and David Bowie. At one point, Paul said, quote, you're doing a good job, Leslie, a damn good job. And then said, quote, the next two hours are going to determine what I do to you right now. You're scoring perfect. On another segment of the tape played at Paul's trial, the assault escalated. Leslie cried out in pain and begged for Paul to stop. In the Crown description of the scene, he was sodomizing her while her hands were bound with twine. Did they play the video or just the audio at the trial? I believe video. They played the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Not not like entirely, but the parts that were pulled out as evidence. Can you imagine pulling jury duty and having to watch fucking shit like this? My God. It wouldn't be great, but I would like for my jury duty for once to go to actual use instead of just sitting around and yeah, being kicked yeah. out. But you know, but no, this would that's not be never pleasant. leaving your mind. Like though. you're not going to go home and yeah, be like that, was, not leaving that, that was a behind. good day at the office. Right, that's going to stay with you for a long time. In the video, Leslie later told Paul that her blindfold seemed to be slipping, which seemed like Paul and Carla realized that Leslie could identify them if she lived. The following day, according to Paul, Carla gave. Leslie a lethal dose of Halcyon, but Carla claimed that Paul strangled her. Regardless, they put Leslie's body in their basement, and the day after that, the Homolka family had dinner at the house. 
after the homolkas left paul and carla decided that the best way to dispose of the evidence would be to dismember leslie and put each part of her remains in cement paul bought a dozen bags of cement at a hardware store the following day he kept the receipts which this is going to come back to haunt him at trial smart smart move he used his grandfather's circular saw to dismember leslie Paul and Carla then made a number of trips to dump cement blocks in Lake Gibson, which was about 11 miles away from their house. And one of these blocks weighed 200 pounds and they couldn't get it into the water. So they just left it on the shore where it was found by a guy named Michael Duchet and his son, Michael Jr. While they were out fishing, this block contained Leslie's head and was identified by dental records. These guys are a couple of dipshits. It's not the smartest plan. No. Picked a hell of an episode not to read the notes ahead of time. I'll tell you what, <laughs> this thing just gets worse and worse. <laughs> we told you it wasn't great. Yeah. On March 29th, 1992, Paul Stockton videotaped two sisters from his car and followed them to their parents' house. One of the sisters incorrectly wrote down his license plate number. The other sister reported the incident to the police on March 31st, 1992, and received an incident number to report further information. On April 16th, 1992, Paul and Carla were driving around looking for potential victims. It was after school hours, but students were still going home. As they passed Holy Cross Secondary School, which was a Catholic school in the city's north end, they spotted 15-year-old Kristen French walking to her home nearby. They pulled into the parking lot of Grace Lutheran Church, and Carla got out of the car with a map, pretending to be lost. When Kristen looked at the map, Paul attacked her from behind, holding a knife and forcing her into the front seat of the car. From the back seat, Carla held Kristen in place by pulling back on her hair. You know what's terrifying? There's so many people out there like this just right now. Like the amount of missing people or, you know, people this age that go missing in this country every year is astounding. That's why. So we should probably throw a tab on some of those people on dark fetish net and just right maybe check up on them every yeah, once in a while something i don't know what the answer is but fuck man there's some psychopaths out there like right now in your neighborhood there are literally things happening right now that we are going to end up doing a show yeah. on in the future it's not a small number of people either Kristen took the same way home from school every day taking about 15 minutes to get home soon after she should have arrived her parents notified police and within 24 hours, the Niagara Regional Police Service assembled a team. They searched Kristen's route and found several witnesses who had seen the abduction from different locations. This was all the police had to go on was a bunch of eyewitness accounts and Kristen's shoe being found in the parking lot where witnesses said they saw the abduction happen. But they didn't get much of a description or anything like nothing to really go off of. Over Easter weekend, Paul and Carla videotaped themselves torturing, raping, and sodomizing Kristen and forcing her to drink large amounts of alcohol. It was clear in this attack that Paul always intended to kill Kristen because she was never blindfolded and she could have identified them. With Kristen being guarded by Carla, on April 18, 1992, Paul went out to buy dinner and rent a movie. He was seen by one of the sisters that he had been stalking, and she attempted to track him to his house. Although she lost him, she got a better description of his license plate and car and reported that to the police. 
the information she gave was mishandled by police and it was never investigated. No, come on. They needed to get the Mounties in on this, right? Is this the Metropolitan Police? They needed some uh, Canadian Mountie action, right? On horses looking for this fucking guy. They needed literally anything. Yeah. <laughs> anything. Something. Someone look into it. The RCMP. Perhaps. Is that what it is? RCMP? Royal Canadian Mounted Police? I believe that's correct. Should have called in the big guns there. Hmm. The following day, Paul and Carla murdered Kristen before going to the Homolkas for Easter dinner. Carla later said that Paul strangled Kristen for seven minutes while she watched. Paul said that Carla beat Kristen with a rubber mallet because she tried to escape. And then Kristen was strangled with a noose around her neck, which was tied to a support beam. A lot of blaming each other in these. Yeah. Throughout this story. Kristen's nude body was found on April 30th, 1992 in a ditch about 45 minutes from Paul and Carla's house. She had been washed and her hair was cut off. It's thought that Kristen's hair was removed as a trophy, but Carla says that they cut it off to throw off the investigation or identifying Kristen. So I guess even more sloppy. The first time they're like, yeah, we should put it in cement, throw it out. Yeah. Then they left a piece like, oh, nothing happened to us. We'll just dump her in a ditch somewhere. Not go through all that. Yeah. We're too good. They're not going to catch us. Start building that confidence. Yeah. Shortly after this, the Green Ribbon Task Force was created to investigate the murders of Leslie and Kristen. At the same time, Paul and Carla had applied to have their last names legally changed to Teal, which Paul had taken from the serial killer in the 1988 film Criminal Law. At the end of May, John Motile, a friend of Paul's, reported Paul as a possible murder suspect. It seemed like everybody was looking at this fucking composite sketch, listening to what he was talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's Paul, yeah. Maybe you guys should take a look at him. (laughs) Alas, that's like if someone did, you know, Mike's composite drawing of uh, pussy slaying (laughs) and they're like, have you seen this man Been slaying all around campus (laughs) consensually? Has he consensually slayed your pussy? And everyone's like, oh, that looks like Mike. Oh, it looks like Mike. That looks like Mike. Yet no one ever said, hey, that is Mike. Right. Yeah. I was thinking about your drawing, your, your, your whatever that is in your hand, your, you know. When you do uh, sketch drawing of uh, don't ne- know your Necronomopod drawing, and someone's like, oh, that's Mike Necronomopod, obviously, in the police. Uh, <laughs> are like, yeah, we don't want to follow. You mean our greatest selling shirt of all <laughs> time? That's, that's right. <laughs> Ridiculously self-portrait. Our, our greatest selling shirts of all time are my two absurd, drunk, buffoonery drawings. <laughs> the best part is that people debate what's in the hand of the, the guy in the first, the stick figure photo. I think it's a dildo dripping a cream pie. That's the beauty of art, right? <laughs> yeah, like it's interpretive, it's, sure. How do you see it? You know? Yeah. Could be anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. I want you to interpret it the way you want to, <laughs> dear listener. In December 1992, the Center of Forensic Sciences finally began testing DNA samples provided by Paul two years earlier. Two years. Mm. Two years. On December 27th, Paul and Carla had a really bad argument where Paul severely beat Carla on her arms, legs, head, and face with a police-style flashlight. Carla said that she had been in a car accident and returned to work on January 4th, 1993. Her co-workers were skeptical about this whole car crash story and called her parents, and her parents physically removed Carla from the house the following day. 
Her parents took her to St. Catherine's General Hospital, where she gave a statement to police that she was a battered spouse and filed charges against Paul. Paul was arrested for this, and pretty quick he was released, to which Carla moved in with relatives to put distance between her and Paul. She moved in with an aunt and uncle. Well, because, uh, you know, never, never, she doesn't know what he's going to do. Oh, oh, wait, yeah, she, she knows exactly <laughs> what he's going to do. 26 months after Paul submitted a DNA sample, Toronto police were informed that it matched that of the Scarborough rapist and immediately placed him under 24-hour surveillance. You know, isn't it wild that he willingly gave that DNA sample, you know, years ago? I thought it was going to turn out to be like he was super careful or he wore, you know, gloves and a condom and all these rapes. And he's like, yeah, there's no, you know, there's no DNA in mine. But no, there was. It's he's just like really yeah, fucking right. arrogant. Yeah, right. You can see it when you would see a picture of him. Yeah, he's that guy. Yeah. Plus, just who would willingly give a DNA sample and you have to just go and jerk off to an FBI cop, right? <laughs> like, you remember that's we're going you way back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not for me, Pally. No thanks. That's really funny. What show is that? From? I don't know. Like Ian's like, don't you think you just swab your cheek with a Q-tip? <laughs> we're, like, we're like, oh yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. You're saying something like this poor <laughs> this poor police person has to stand Hold there with a, a cup. cup. <laughs> Just do it. I'm not going to walk. It's the honor system here. Just come in this cup, please, quickly. Thank you. Close it up. Next guy. So Metro Toronto Sexual Assault Squad investigators interviewed Carla on February 9th, 1993, where she focused on his abuse of her. Later that night, she told her aunt and uncle that Paul was the Scarborough rapist and that she and Paul were involved in the rape and murder of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, and that all of these rapes were recorded on videotape. At this time, the police also reopened the investigation of Tammy Hamolka's death. Then two days later, Carla was placed under 24-hour surveillance. And then also at this time, Carla retained a lawyer named George Walker who pushed for immunity for Carla. Her lawyer met with Crown Criminal Office Director Murray Siegel. After George Walker told Siegel about the videotapes of the rapes, Siegel told him that due to Carla's involvement in the crimes and the fact that she's on these videotapes, there was no way she was going to get full immunity. On February 17th, police arrested Paul on several charges and obtained a search warrant. Keep in mind, they, they had only been told of these tapes. They didn't... They have not they seen didn't them. have them right they so, didn't have the tapes so his link to the murders was weak and the warrant was limited and no evidence which was not expected and documented in the warrant could be removed from the house and any of the rumored videotapes found by police had to be watched in the house that's weird yeah i don't know what's going on in canada with their yeah, search warrants right. here they'll just fucking bust down your door and just take whatever they want right well the noise complaint yeah sure <laughs> I think we smell weed in there. We're going <laughs> to come in and destroy your house and beat your ass. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> Fucking door sucks. <laughs> the SWAT tanks rolling down the fucking street. Not if you're John DuPont. <laughs> no. That's right. We'll wait 50 hours, <laughs> sir. Damage also had to be kept to a minimum. Like police couldn't tear down walls looking for the videotapes. 
The search of the house, including updated warrants, lasted for 71 days, and the only tape found by police had a brief segment of Carla performing oral sex on Jane Doe, who was that 15-year-old girl. On May 5th, George Walker was informed that the government was offering Carla a plea bargain of 12 years, which she had one week to accept. If she declined, the government would charge her with two counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, and a whole bunch of other crimes. She accepted the offer, and on May 14th, Carla's plea bargain was finalized, and she began giving statements to police. She told police that Paul bragged that he had raped as many as 30 women, which was twice as many as police suspected. Mm. And many Canadians weren't a fan of the plea deal, especially after finding out that Paul's lawyer, Ken Murray, withheld the videotapes for 17 months. Prosecutors said that they would have never agreed to a plea bargain if they had seen those tapes before it was all signed and finalized. So she had the tapes, she got the plea bargain, and then she turned over tapes as part of the deal to help prosecute him. Paul told his lawyer, this Ken Murray guy, where the tapes were. Oh. This lawyer withheld the tapes. Okay. Mm. This lawyer got himself in a fuck ton of trouble. Why would he tell his lawyer where the incriminating tapes were? Where were the tapes? I can't remember. Mm. Somewhere in the house. But yeah, his lawyer uh, hit him. Well, okay. He got in a lot. The lawyer got in a lot of trouble for obstructing justice. You can't do that. Interesting. So, but that's the the prosecution. They've always stood by that, that if they would have seen those tapes and seen Carla on them, they would have never tried to offer her a plea bargain. I would hope not. I mean, would you don't, you don't need her testimony in a scenario where you have those tapes, right? Yeah, now like, they wouldn't need her anymore. They wouldn't need it at all. It's just not necessary. Mm. Paul was tried for the murders of Kristen French and Leslie Mahaffey in 1995. And his trial included detailed testimony from Carla and videotapes of the rapes. Paul testified that the deaths were accidental, later claiming that Carla was the actual killer. On September 1st, 1995, Paul was convicted of a ton of crimes, including two first-degree murder charges and two aggravated sexual assault charges. And he was sentenced to life in prison without parole for at least 25 years. But in Canada, they have this thing that they can label somebody as a dangerous offender, which makes it pretty much impossible. They were, uh, they will ever get parole. So he's technically eligible for parole, but that offender labels, they're going to be like, Nope. There's a little yeah. mark on his file. Yeah. I think just his name and the publicity of this kind of sealed that. Deal. I would think so. Yeah. So he was eligible last year then. Mm-hmm. Interesting. For the record, I'm okay with that. With him getting out? No. Oh. <laughs> Did not say that. Now he's making stuff up. What are you okay with? The check mark on his name? Uh, with him, you know, being labeled dangerous oh, and, yeah. you know, oh, his parole yeah. being, you know, yeah. affected forever by that. And that, that that should be taken into, you know, I feel like you probably don't need that check mark if you're looking at his file. <laughs> oh, it's fair. <laughs> like, it's all there. You, know, yeah. you don't need that, that extra check mark, but I'm okay with it. I would go a step further and say, we don't need you on the planet. I perhaps we don't, but I don't think that's just, you know, okay. The government's call to make. Okay, sure. Hey, if it's that my li- call to make. If that little che- <laughs> if that little check mark, if that little check mark is going get, to get him put away forever and he's never going to get out, then maybe we need to adopt that system here in the United States. Okay. You know, for people that well, check, are just using check mark system. For people that aren't, you know, 
not people that are using marijuana. Oh. You know, they're going to get a little check mark, and now you they're mean not going to get out. what all our prisons are filled up yeah. with? Yeah. Well, yeah. Of course. Uh-huh. A whole nother argument for a whole nother time, <laughs> David. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, you're right. What can you say? <laughs> After Paul's trial was over and Carla testified, she was returned to Kingston Prison for Women to serve out her 12-year sentence. While at Kingston, Carla began courses in sociology through the nearby Queens University, which initially caused the whole media storm. Um, Carla was required to pay fees as well as personal needs, but she told author Stephen Williams in a later letter, quote, I did get some financial assistance. From who, Ian? From who? I don't know. Plot thickens. She later graduated with a bachelor's degree in psychology from Queens. News of Carla doing this educational stuff were met in the media with a lot of anger, saying, quote, nothing has changed. Concepts of remorse, repentance, shame, responsibility, and atonement have no place in the universe of Carla. Perhaps she simply lacks the moral gene. Perhaps. That's a statement. Yeah, the moral statement. gene. Carla was moved from Kingston in the summer of 1997 to Joliet Institution, which is a medium security prison in Joliet, Quebec, which is nicknamed Club Fed by critics of the prison. When I get locked up, I hope I go to a Club Fed. Yeah. Nice ping pong tables, you know, some good food. Some Epstein treatment. Some Epstein treatment. <laughs> Well, not hardcore. So you live at home. You come, you you sleep, (laughs) you go sleep in the jail. That's what you want. You go home. That's what I want. You reach your your Stouffer's French bread pizzas. That's right. You watch, you know, some big Lebowski or something on TV. You're like, oh, it's nine o'clock. I better, I better get back. And you have your personal driver drive you back to your cell, which is probably all the comforts. You go to sleep. 7 a.m. Oh, got to go home to work. It's not too bad when you describe it like that. Hey. Prison sounds pretty fun. You know what? (laughs) We should just become multimillionaires and then cr- commit crimes. Huh. All right. I don't hate this plan. What kind of crimes are you committing? Yeah, what do you want to do? I don't want to hurt anybody. Let's just, I don't know. Like rob a bank or something yeah, cool? Yeah, let's, let's hold up some gas stations. <laughs> Ian, you free the raccoons, I'll free the hot dogs. <laughs> Dad, you get the booze. <laughs> we'll rendezvous at the Denny's. <laughs> Sounds like a fucking hell of a plan to me. Forget the cash register. We want the booze, hot dogs, and raccoons. <laughs> Ian's like, I got the outside dumpsters covered. You guys go inside. Get his gun pointed. I walk in. They're like, oh, take the money. I'm like, no, give me your fucking hot dogs. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dave's just throwing like smearing off ices into his pants. Like whatever, he, whatever he can get, whatever he can get out of like the little fucking doors. <laughs> Tall boys of butt ice. Then we'll ice the clerk on our way out. Yeah, right. <laughs> And she's like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, I, I have to I have to take the drink. I can't call the cops. And then it's just us and a thousand raccoons running behind us. <laughs> the Pied Piper over here, Ian. It's a ridiculous scene. Yeah. Hijinks ensue. We just wrote a story. We didn't write a movie. It's a movie. In 1999, Toronto Star reporter Michelle Shepard came into possession of copies of Carla's application to transfer to a halfway house run by the Elizabeth Fry Society and published a story noting that the halfway house's proximity to local schools was pretty close. That's not great. (laughs) This was ran hours before the Canadian courts issued a publication ban on information. 
Carla felt like it was too close to that ban, and she sued the government, but nothing came of the suit. There was a lot of uh, pushback between the media and the government about what could be reported with this case and what couldn't. The, the, gov- the government pretty much shut down reporters for a lot of the inside information in this. Yeah, I was looking at a lot more of that, and because it's so close to the border, I was reading that a lot of those blackout rules, so no, you know, media could could print stories and whatnot in Canada, but all those publications in Buffalo and on you know, the U.S. side all printed it, so everyone had access to the information. Yeah. They Fuck can't you, stop. motherfucker! <laughs> right, motherfuckers! <laughs> yeah. so stop whole, this, bitch! Yeah, right, Canadian courts can't restrict, you know, the U.S. media. So. Oh, is that how it works? Yeah, usually, Damn. yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh man, amazing. Hmm. So that information obviously got across the border and people (laughs) knew about it. (laughs) In 2001, Carla was transferred to a maximum security prison in Quebec. The Toronto Sun reported that while she was there, Carla began a sexual relationship with John Paul Gerbet, who was a convicted murderer held in the men's unit of the facility. Interesting. It's like a Men's and women's thing going on there. Yeah. Well, when you only unusual. have 14 prisoners nationwide. <laughs> that's a, that's, you know, yeah. it's cost effective yeah. to just sure bunk them together. Fuck it. <laughs> we'll do it live. <laughs> According to a former inmate that was really close with Carla, uh, told the son that Carla and this Gerbet guy stripped at the fence and touched one an- one another sexually and exchanged underwear. Oh, that sounds terrific. <laughs> Give me your underpants. That's, that's the biblical sense of sex, right? That's, that's right. Mm. Give me your underpants, Carla. Prison underpants. Prison underpants. <laughs> Give me your granny panties, Carla. <laughs> sounds great. In December 2001, Canadian authorities determined that there was no possible future use for the videotapes. Everything was done being investigated. The six videotapes showing the torture and rape of Paul and Carla's victims were destroyed. The records of Carla watching and commenting on the tapes remain sealed to this day. Is that standard practice to get rid of evidence like that after so long? I guess in Canada it is. They do it here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure they can't keep it forever, right? A lot of uh, that was one of the issues with the Golden State Killer stuff is some of those police departments cleared house and... Mm. You know, they needed room and some of those rape kits were one of the things to go. That wasn't even a cleared case. Yeah. So, who? you know, oh, that's terrible. I mean, Cleveland had a big, uh, or was it the state of Ohio in general where the, the rape kits were never tested? Like mm-hmm. after the Anthony was Ohio Soul guy was came Ohio. out like statewide. Yeah. Like they just didn't follow up on a lot of that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. That, that seems to be a pretty standard issue going you know, yeah. with a lot of places. Yeah. But who, I mean, what if something came up like, eh, I guess at some point you don't need it, but it seems like there's a vault somewhere you should put that stuff in in case you ever need it. I don't know. Maybe at someone's parole hearing or something, you might want to take another gander at it. Perhaps. Like, oh, this is what this guy did If you, in case you were thinking about paroling him. It, I don't know. Yeah, it does seem weird just to destroy the evidence like that. I guess if you're one of the victims on that tape, though, you'd probably prefer that just to know it didn't exist any longer. Well, it make you feel better, yeah. but at the same time, if you know it's going to keep that guy in prison or that female in prison forever and ever and ever, yeah. they can replay it every parole hearing. Yeah. Or you think it. about cops in the lockup room? Watch. I, I don't know. Well, but I just might feel better. Now you're getting, a little, you're getting well, a little deep cut with that. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> 
the uh just accuse cops of <laughs> never mind. I, I, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna say what you just accuse cops. I'm just saying if you're a victim like that and you know there's a video record of it, like you don't want there that you don't want anyone, you know, to know what's in sure. the world and someone yeah. could sure. just view it at any time. I get that. They uh uh, Colorado police. I can't remember. Um, Same ones probably investigated John. <laughs> yeah, they destroyed the ba- the basement tapes of Dylan Klebold and uh, the other one oh, with well, Columbine. Sure, you know. There's there's transcripts. I don't know if mm. complete ones, but they destroyed the tapes so they didn't get out in the world. But those guys were dead. Yeah, I'm just saying I, evidence I, I, gets no, destroyed. So. I understand, but with that situation, like. Well, you never know, though, what can pop up. I get it. It's a judgment what if, call. What if there all of a sudden became a new suspect? Yeah, you know, I you know. need to review that old evidence because maybe there was somebody that wasn't a part of the shooting that day in Columbine, but that was manipulating it behind the scenes or a part of the plan. And, you know, they could review those tapes to, yeah, to get yeah. some evidence. There's like, no right answer. It's just an interesting That's, question, though. I'm officially against that. You know, destroy. You think the all evidence. evidence should be held in? Uh, I don't know if all. I mean, I understand that's a, that's strong. I mean, where are you going to put it all? Like that, right, that gets intense. Right. But I don't know. That's just it's odd that you're just going to do that. It is not odd. That's not the right word. It's so final. It's so final. And you can never go back to that. It just seems like you can save everything digitally now. Like there's no. Well, this is a long time ago, but. Like nowadays, you can digitize everything. In 2001, you could probably digitize. Yeah, it, right? it doesn't seem like there's a need to yeah. get rid of everything. But again, you know, if it was so me. So you think any file that you would about any case that hasn't been officially closed, they should always just keep everything. I don't know. Right? Like, But then it like, could be hacked. Like a, like a Kennedy assassination. Like, you know, probably. You should probably keep everything. Probably. But then again, you know, then, you Ru- then Russian hackers have a, you know, a copy yeah. of it. And you well, know, I'm not even it's on a dark web. I'm not even saying digitized, though. Like any evidence they have should be stored away. Right. Like the like the limousine he was shot in, you know, the gun that was used. I would think anything so. else they have that we haven't been told about uh, for that case. I would think so. That's appropriate. I mean, it's just tough. Like it is. Yeah, there's no right answer. There's just questions. There's no answers. That's what we're here for. Just, yeah. We just bring up the questions. Yeah. We, we're not solving anything. No, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm fucking 154 beers deep. I'm not solving <laughs> shit tonight. So there was a two-day hearing held before Judge John R. Ballou in June of 2005. He ruled that due to good behavior and Carla being a victim of Paul Bernardo, as well as the other women and young girls, she would be released on July 4th, 2005 but would still pose a risk to the public at large. Seems weird to release her, then say (laughs) that at the same time. (laughs) Watch out for her, but we're going to let her out. (laughs) Watch out for this one. She's a wild one. I see a firecracker. Don't cross her. It's not good for me. (laughs) But in all seriousness, you've been warned, so it's on you now. (laughs) That's right. Canada, what the fuck? Certain restrictions were placed on Carla as a condition of her release. She was to tell police her home address, work address, and who she was living with. She was required to notify police as soon as any of the above changed. She was likewise required to notify police of any change to her name. If she planned to be away from her home for more than 48 hours, she had to give 72 hours notice. She could not contact Paul Bernardo, the families of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French, or that of the woman known as Jane Doe, or any violent criminals. 
She was forbidden to be with people under the age of 16, forbidden from consuming drugs other than prescription medicine, required to continue therapy and counseling, and was required to provide police with DNA samples. Seems fair. Yeah, it's still a pretty cush life for her now. I mean, after this. Yeah. I mean, someone who probably should be in prison forever. Uh, yeah, of course. There and was- meanwhile, you get a DUI and you can't, like in America, you're not welcome in Canada. Like, they <laughs> right. they have like right. zero tolerance for DUIs. Yeah. Meanwhile, this chick, she's on the prowl. Can we get her for an interview? Ian, you want to work on that? Carla? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we could try. Dave's still working on Casey Anthony, so one of you's got to strike gold at some point. <laughs> I drove by her house a couple weeks ago. She yeah, was at home. <laughs> hey, George! George! I talked to you! Hey! Oh! Come on over here! I got a podcast! I want to talk to you! He'd have, he'd have pulled you out of the window and I would never do that. That's terrible. His old, like, police ass. He would have kicked your yeah. ass. We could have filmed that. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Get that on video. He probably carries his blackjack around. <laughs> fucking swat you in the head through the George car window. An- George Anthony kicks Dave Gamapod's ass. <laughs> Our YouTube page would explode. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy's just trying to fucking garden and you're driving by trying to get a picture. Hey, I didn't stop. I let it go. You slowed down. Questionably I slow. didn't stop, though. <laughs> he drove past what, twice. <laughs> Two miles an hour. Literally just took his foot off the gas. It was just, they see me rolling. They hate it. George is like, look at this fuck up. I know exactly what he's doing. You're like, ouch, George. Ouch. <laughs> Where's the hot piece of ass daughter? Ouch. <laughs> you could tell I was in the back seat. He had garlic bread, obviously. He was eating it while passing it out to Obviously. <laughs> If she violated any of that, there was a maximum of a two-year prison term. And on July 4th, 2005, she was released from prison. She gave her first interview to French Radio Canada Television, and she told the interviewer, Joyce Napier, that she chose Radio Canada because she found it to be less sensationalized than the English-speaking media. She said that she found Quebec to be more accepting of her than Ontario. And she confirmed that she would be living within the province, but refused to say where. She said that she had paid her debt to society legally, but not emotionally or socially. She refused to speak about that alleged relationship with Gerbet, where they were rubbing each other between the fence. On November 30th, 2005, Quebec Superior Court Judge James Brunton lifted all restrictions imposed on Carla, saying there was not enough evidence to justify them. <laughs> what the? <laughs> That's what happened. Okay. Okay. It's a different country. I don't know how it works up there. Fly free, butterfly. <laughs> on December 6th, 2005, the Quebec Court of Appeals held up that decision. Um, and the Quebec Justice Department decided not to take the case further, despite the public in Ontario's demanding. It was reported on June 8th, 2006, that Carla's request to have her name changed was rejected when she attempted to have it legally changed to Emily Chiara Tremblay. The following year, The Sun reported that Carla had given birth to a baby boy. Quebec Children's Aid said that despite Carla's past, she would not be automatically put under any special supervision. Uh, But there were a bunch of nurses who refused to care for her. 
Good for them. On December 7, 2007, it was reported that Carla had left Canada so that her one-year-old could lead a, quote, more normal life. She later got married and had two more kids. As of January 2020, she lives in Salisbury, De Valleyfield, Canada, without her husband or children, but it's not clear as to why she lives alone. I got a pretty good idea. <laughs> Where did she go when she left Canada before she came back? It's not, not clear. Not clear, huh? Mm. Where did she live? Montana. Think so? Well, they wouldn't let her in this country. Hmm. And during that time, you know, when after she had been out and stuff, remember Luca Magnata spread that rumor on the internet that he was dating her. Oh. And he got along. No, Ian, I don't recall that. We covered that fucking 19 <laughs> years ago. He was like drumming up online publicity for himself, saying that he was dating her. That's right. Hmm. So Paul's in prison. Carla's living her life somewhere. Yes. And that's why the story is famous is because it's Carla. I think because she's like the one that's still out. Yeah. I think the controversy she's a good with looking that, girl and they were both good looking people. You, you, they're the, they're the, like a Ted Bundy type where you look at them and you would never think right. that they would be doing this kind of stuff. They're like Barbie. I think they don't, they get the Barbie and Ken. Don't they have a, a nickname along those lines? Yeah. I think that's right. I know they have the the schoolgirl murders and stuff like that. I but I think they have the Barbie and Ken. It's just like it's a scenario where, like you said, they're both good looking people. They could have spent their whole life, you know, picking up girls, you know, doing whatever they want if they would have just not like being legal swingers. Yeah. Like, like you get yeah. had so much fun. Like yeah. you had to step over this line and this was your thing. And look where it got you. It's you know, it's like when these two people just get together. That's right. And we're going to be talking about next week with Charles Ng and Leonard Lake. In all fairness, our fucking listeners voted for this. Yeah. They like true. this. They're, They're psychopaths. Sadistic stuff. Yeah. Uh, they said it, not me. You're psychopaths. <laughs> I just told you hit the unsubscribe button before. He's telling you a psychopath. In a good way, psychopaths. But uh, as someone who, I, you know, I didn't know the story, obviously, coming into it when we put Car- Carla Hamolka on the poll, and then I didn't read the notes. This isn't necessarily even the Carla story. It's the Paul Bernardo, Bernardo story. Yeah. I think hey, both of them, you know, still it's both, but you don't hear him. I think he, he, she gets a lot more of the attention with this one because one, because of the controversy around her being released. Um, but I think that whole gifting Paul, her, her own sister up. and other that typically. Yeah. It's just or, a different kind of story. Yeah, and statistically, women aren't going to participate in something right. like this. Let alone your family. Right. Well, and she was so quick on that plea deal because she, she knew what was coming. Oh, yeah. And she's clearly as culpable as Paul in this. So, I mean, if you're the families of one of those victims, just knowing that this cunt is out there walking around when she obviously was an equal partner in all this is, is terrible. Can I say cunt? Did I just say cunt? You can say cunt. I can say cunt. We have enough Australian listeners. Please. We love it. I'm not saying it in a good Australian way. Like, she's a cunt cunt. Did you guys see the uh, meme that's going around online? You probably have because you guys are much more in touch with that than I am. But it's, uh, you know, you're in true love when you can finish each other's sentences. Mm -hmm. And it's a photo of Ghislaine Maxwell. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see that? Not, not. <laughs> yeah, it's a picture of her and Epstein all like close like, to each other. You know, you're a true love when you can finish these other sentences. 
Yeah, I think there's just something. A well, little, it was her sister, so you yeah, know, it, that doesn't happen every day. It adds that like more of that unthinkable yeah, aspect right. to it. Normal people fuck, don't do you know that. What? I'm gonna say fuck Canada. Right? So you're done with Canada now? <laughs> no. You're divorcing your, uh, getting rid of your love of for not. Canada? Of course not. Oh. But I'm not happy with them right now. All right. I'm upset. Take a break, Canada. Mike. Canada, you and I, we're fighting. Hockey season's over. You can take a break from Canada. Until October. <laughs> and then I'll start sucking your dick again. <laughs> <laughs> but until October, yeah, I'm done with you, Canada. Come on. You bullshit like this? Meanwhile, they're looking at us like... Have you heard every other story you've ever covered about the United States? Well, that's a very good point. Uh, irrelevant tonight. Our cops didn't fuck this one up. You know, we might have let Carla Homolka in the country for a little while. Not sure. Yeah, I wonder where she was. I say Montana. I Maybe she snuck up to Alaska up there. Hmm. Some border patrol up there between Alaska and Canada. I mean, really? Non-existent. A couple moose. Just like the rest of the border with Canada. What are you talking about? Fine, you can go any which way. That's why I stick with Montana. Okay. Fair enough. Literally just go. There's nothing. What nothing. is that? What is it? Come on. You can go to like Washington. There may be some border, you know, maybe a little patrol. bit. Go to Niagara. That's it. That's eh. it. Eh. Canada's like, eh. eh. Take them. Unless they got a DUI. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> How dare you, sir? Yeah, they, they really do take their DUI seriously. Sure. Fuck. They're like something fuck in their you. <laughs> the whole country. The whole country's drunk. They you just don't, don't, you don't drive. Well, they got enough of them. They don't Wait, want any more. Also, you can't drive in snow. It's just nonstop snow. Wow. Like, you're better off just ice skating to wherever you got to go. <laughs> Leave your apartment, put on some ice skates, you know, go on down to uh, the arena, watch some minor league hockey. Right? I don't know. That's how I picture it. That's my dream world in Canada. <laughs> I'm ice skating everywhere. It's snow 24-7, 365. I never have to wear shorts or worry about sweating. I just ice skate everywhere I want. Ian, imagine what this guy's <laughs> dreams are like. <laughs> fucking skating around Canada. <laughs> la, 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 la. Sounds fucking off. I got a Molson in my hand. Just drinking Molson while skating down to the market. Huh. Dave, like, so, Dave, so, don't lie. You kind of like it a little bit. So, you, what are you doing to my dream, eh? See? Everyone's happy. You're just happy, and you're drunk, and you skate, and no one's hot, Dave. Yeah. There's no humidity. Right. No heat. So, you mean I have health care now, eh? Yeah, right, hey. So great. I love it up here. You mean I can just go to the doctor? Like with no copay or nothing? What's a sick day? <laughs> <laughs> Problem is, you get murdered. Uh, investigation might be a little lackluster. <laughs> uh, it's a, you know, eh, life's a trade-off. Mike. Don't get life's a trade-off. Don't get murdered. <laughs> you know what? In all fairness, in America, you know, it's like a one in three chance of getting murdered, and the investigation's still going to be pretty shoddy. Probably, right? We'll see. You never know. Up there, it's like a one in uh, you know. 400 million chance yeah. of getting murdered. See, take your yeah, chances. I think your odds are probably a little better. <laughs> So whose uh, fantasy world is looking pretty good right now? I'd like to ice skate everywhere and have that one in 400 million chance. So there were no gunshots here today, huh? <laughs> What's a gun? <laughs> I've got a spitball gun. I'll shoot you, eh? Better take off, hoser. Hoser. 
Have you ever seen Strange Brew? Yes, great movie. It's the, one Fantastic. of the greatest. Fantastic. Have you ever seen Strange Mm-mm. Brew? When they serve it's their so dad that funny. beer after they pour it. <laughs> Bob and Doug McKenzie. It's so great. It's the most Canadian film of all time, Ian. It's literally the most Canadian film of all time. <laughs> Highly recommend. Okay. I don't that's know where a, we're going That's a feel-good story of the day. Yeah. I'm sorry I used the C word, but this, this person's terrible. It's fucking Patreon. Like, these people are... Mm. I apologize. Don't stop it, cunt. <laughs> See, I made a bad. Don't call me that bitch. No, it's calling all of our listeners. Out. Oh, okay. Guess what? They don't care. They love that. They love it. <laughs> call us cunts. We love it. There was a lot of uh, like psychologists that talked to her throughout this whole process. Like yeah. we could have talked about that forever. The general thing was that you know what she has is not curable. The ability to do that, and yeah, be sexually I, attracted to it, like the ability to kill yeah. someone, and then the ability to be sexually attracted by killing someone are two totally, condi- you know, mm-hmm. different things. Mm-hmm. So the ability to offer up your sister like that is that's something you don't see serial killers do. Yeah, unless that's different. It's Ed Kemper killing his mom, you know. Yeah. But that's even just him, right? He had his mom issues. That's in a rage. This built is like up. offering yeah. up your family to somebody else. Like yeah. that was their, uh, that was his Christmas present. Yeah. That's just off the chart depravity. So is she the famous one of this because she's free? Cause I, they're both awful, but he did just as much as she did, but worse. Well, I think it's her sister and people hate her. Cause it yeah. was her yeah. sister. She gave up her sister and I think and she got off, which really, I mean, she deserves all that. hate. I feel like we're not hating on Paul Bernardo as much as we should be. Like this guy is, yeah, oh yeah, is no. the scum of the universe. No doubt, sure. He's on the same level as uh, the Golden State Killer. Yeah, right. You know, I mean, all those rapes. Yeah, this is. I think it's just because she's a woman. As part of as a lot, it's unusual. A lot, yeah, yeah. and that she's back in the day, she was a very attractive. Woman. She was, huh? And you typically, you know, just in like media and newspapers, you would not see that. So like she could have got into anything she wanted to get into. She seems like a pretty a, girl. Like she could have done whatever she wanted. There's trying to say pretty girls can get whatever they want, Dave. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> one day the world works. Maybe one day one of them will want to be president. <laughs> just saying. I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're getting at, Mike. <laughs> Saying they can get whatever they want. <laughs> I don't think that's a first statement. No? I mean, I don't know. You know I'm, fucking <laughs> I'm exaggerating, of course, <laughs> and speaking in absolutes that don't always apply, but generally speaking. Years deep. I don't know. Like she could have acted out all the most of these fantasies and whatever without crossing that line. And yeah. you know, this fucking clown that she got herself mixed up in. That's all I'm saying. It's a sad tale, friends. It's a very sad tale. Yeah. yeah, this was not uh, as feel good as I thought it was going to be. I noticed you jerking off under the table. <laughs> I think you're maybe you liked it more than you're letting on. I think you you uh, misunderstood. I, w- I had my phone on. I was looking at other stuff at the time, obviously. Oh, Casey Anthony picks. Uh, new 2021 photos have been released. It's <laughs> <laughs> getting thicker and sexier. Is that right? Just saying. I haven't checked up on what she's up to or oh, I, her I, new I pictures. I check frequently. I know. See if there's ever any new photos that <laughs> pop up of her. 
see her at the bar or people paparazzi take some photos yeah throw drinks on her that was a work though was it yeah there was she did it on purpose to get some publicity around mm. her that her new show investigator uh, thing something that she's up to <laughs> yeah that was a work okay. so. life is a work at this point <laughs> yeah. i really feel like life is a work. Right. like god damn <laughs> I gotta work for her if she needs it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like she she'll she'll hear you out. She will definitely hear you out. Who worked this cock into your mouth? <laughs> I always like what has to go just a step further. Like just wait, wait, wait. I mean, you don't want to you don't want to get her pregnant. Pause. <laughs> yeah. It's like Borat. You just want to stick to the mouth. It's like Borat. You pause. You know what the pause is? Pause. <laughs> this tie is black knot. <laughs> All right, good show, fellas. That was fun. Was it? Good no, show. not really. It's horrible, but was, you know, this was a show. This oh, was a show, fellas. You know, the other thing I wanted to say too. Um, I think the fact that it was all a lot of it was videotaped adds a whole different layer to the yeah, yeah. publicity surrounding it. I think there's something we'll see. In, next week or next two weeks with Charles Ng and Leonard Lake. There's something about videotaping that adds a different layer to it as well. I completely agree. Can't imagine having to be in, having to be one of those police officers and have to sit through that. Well, now they don't have to, cause they just delete it all. Right. Well, this lady's walking around free it. and, uh, all videotape is now deleted forever. I can, well, I mean, I kind of get the argument behind destroying those. The case is over. We know who did what. What's the what's the point in keeping them and risking someone leaking them? Or something? I, I agree. I I get that too. Yeah, but you don't know what's going to come up. Well, what's going to come up with these? What two? if there was a third suspect? What if somebody else helped them? I think at that point you kind of know what happened. I, I don't know. I think it's a general statement, though. I don't think we know. I'm just saying, where's the line with what you delete and what you don't? Well, it's subjective, of course. So there's going to be mistakes. So you're right. Some cases are people are going to destroy stuff they probably shouldn't have. Sure. That just reminded me of The Office when he gets in trouble for the jokes. He's like, where's the line? <laughs> <laughs> where's the line? You know, a, along <laughs> that same vein, I mean, there's people today that their job is to, you know, like kitty porn investigators. And like, that's what they do. They have to review, you know. Kitty porn. Yeah, sounds awful. Like, how do you do that? How do sounds you? Sounds awful. How do you spend your day doing that? And do, go home I don't at think night? you should be deleting any of that. Like, you should be keeping that if it's going to help yeah, you. Yeah, but I'm just saying the people have to review that as as you know investigators. Like, well, like, I mean, kudos to them if they if they do it and they do their job well. I can't. I would never be able to do that. Right. Like, how do you not take that home with you? Like, how do you? How do you do that? I don't know. I don't know how, how you do that every day. We were talking about deleting stuff. Well, he was talking about the cops that had the. He's talking about Michael Scott <coughs> making sex jokes. Well, before that, he was talking about the cops that had to view those videotapes. And I mean. Or even like, think of a jury that has to see, see that stuff. Yeah, it's, I think yeah. that's, that's not. Someone's got to do it, I guess, is the point. Yeah. I just get nervous when you talk about throwing away evidence, like just deleting yeah, it. I, I, I get, get that. We, obviously, it was there for a reason. And for cases like this, like we're obviously covering this case. It's a big name case. No. Yeah. Maybe you don't throw all that stuff away. I, I think when he's locked up forever, I, maybe. And she's walking free. She's well, walking free. But she's not going to get convicted again. I mean, I think it might bring some some peace to the victims to know that that 
evidence of that is no longer in existence. So I, I get that. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, there's no right answer. I don't, I don't know. It is what it is. If it was me, I would, you know, when the case ran its course, I would like that evidence destroyed. Just I would but feel would better wanna, knowing that doesn't exist. You would want to know the case ran its course. Sure. I, I think it's pretty clear the case ran its course here. But I guess that's subjective in some cases. So still, I get your point. walking free. But that's that. I mean, that, but there could be any little thing they get her on. You know, yeah. maybe there's something else you get her on. If I'm a victim, I want this girl locked away forever. Well, I think that immunity deal. Get her uh, on something. It's not going to let that happen. I'm sorry. I was too drunk to even remember an immunity deal that we discussed. <laughs> <laughs> she got a plea bargain for 12 years oh. before the tapes were seen. I'm sorry. I am shit faced. Oh, right you, you don't remember that? <laughs> no, no, sir. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you right now. I don't remember most of what we just talked about. I kind of just blanked out while you were talking, was just daydreaming on and on. Just being honest. I didn't read, I didn't read the notes. What are you daydreaming about? Life. Yeah. He's Eight. up in Canada. So yeah. what province am I in today? Skating around. Also, I don't want to hear about like all these rapes. Like That sounds terrible. I skinned my knee. Eh? Where can I go for free health care? They're like, oh, literally anywhere. We'll help you out. What you covered? <laughs> hey, you want a cancer screening? Hey, let's check out. <laughs> right. Oh, you got a little bit of cancer. We'll just remove it. No so, problem. like, the word deductible doesn't exist in this country, right? <laughs> They're like, what? <laughs> They're like, deductible what? There's a case of Molson. <laughs> Have a good day. <laughs> want a moose burger? <laughs> <laughs> I would try that. Would you eat that? Moose? Yeah. I'll eat anything. That sounds all right. Yeah, why not? No dogs. I will not eat a dog. I will eat just about anything else. Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't eat a dog. That'd be a little rough. Mm. Bison burgers are the best, for the record. Yeah, a little dry. Not terrible. Well, if you cook them too dry, they're so lean. They're well, tasty. so fat in there. You, gotta, you can't cook them. They dry out real quick. I had some dynamite bison burger in my day. Oh, oh. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to go into more detail there. <laughs> well, I don't want to. I got to kayfabe a little bit. Saw us masturbating, <laughs> eh, eating this bison burger and having a Molson. Then I went and got a free physical. It was a terrific day. That sounds like a perfect day. I, mean, I don't know about you guys. Is that not a perfect day? <laughs> I got a letter in the mail. I'm like, oh, no, this is my deductible. I'm like, no, it was just a thank you letter for coming in. <laughs> Zero doom. It was terrific. That's all I got. Ian, you got anything else? No, I think I said everything I had to say. All right, Dave, you got anything else? No, no. Fucking depraved couple of people here. Yeah. All right. It's not getting any more fun. No, clearly not. No. What, doing the show, you mean? While Charles and uh, Leonard come Yeah, in. yeah. Those, that's that's way worse. Yeah. I'll take your guys' word for it, and we'll find out as we go. <laughs> I'll read those ones ahead of time so I know what to expect. Uh, all right, we got anything else to plug? I guess that was been about it, all right? Yeah. Get this done in under two hours if we end in the next 10 seconds. Bye. <laughs>